0: Going on everybody, it's buddy at your pals pass Phoenix, and this is Flix Fix. Gonna come at you guys right now with a few initial thoughts of the movie Scream 6. Now, two things to note right off the bat. A, don't listen to this if you haven't seen the movie and you don't want spoilers, because we're gonna be talking about the movie in a not abridged fashion. Second of all, if you're hearing this at all, it means my voice didn't give out halfway through the pod, so let's just hope that that goes as uh, as planned, as according to what I want versus what I don't want. Very, very weird and awkward way for me to start the pod, but okay. First of all, this movie was fucking awesome. This movie gave me everything that I wanted. This movie has transferred all the attention completely onto the new stars spoiler alert number one no nev campbell in this movie uh it's referenced very early on that there's going to be no nev campbell in the movie by courtney cox's gail weathers who says yeah you know uh sydney prescott sends her love i left her alone with her family she deserves her happy ending and all the characters kind of nod in agreement and that's all you hear from sydney prescott spoiler alert you don't get her in the movie at all courtney cox the way she was brought in and then taken out awesome, kind of open-ended really really like it, but the focus as I say with the last one naming itself the Requel because of how meta it is and the characters in the movie can talk about the movie that they're in being a Requel um, really 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 did a good job of getting off getting off on their own foot the last movie, uh, Scream 5, which was just called Scream, and we know how I feel about that, um, sort of had them interacting with Gail, with Sydney, with Dewey. We all know what happened to Dewey. And it was sort of a handoff. Now, this movie was sort of the, let's get the new characters in there and see if they can take the handoff, run with it. Huge. going to say this right off the bat. Melissa Barrera, Jenny Ortega, uh, Mason Gooding, and Jasmine Savoy Brown as Billy Loomis's daughter, her half-sister, played by Jenny Ortega, who's getting famous all over the place these days, and Mason Gooding and Jasmine Savoy-Brown, who play the uh, son and daughter, I guess, or niece and nephew, I can't remember which, of Randy from the original movies, and literally take over the role of movie geek from Randy in the individual movies. They're all fantastic. They get drawn together even closer as a group. Uh, you get some other periphery characters introduced, in this movie as, hey, these are their new friends, aka they're expendable but really, really, really strong core group they they go on in the movie to refer to themselves as the core four um they say in a lot of the conversations where they're excluding other people and they're basically like no 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 because they're in new york now uh if they need to exclude anybody from the conversation it's like no this is an us thing this is a woodsboro thing which i thought was really really cool so let's get into the story a little bit as i say last chance to hop off if you don't want spoilers um starts off uh really letting you know i said this in the trailer uh preview, review, reaction, whatever you want to call it, um, that when they capped off the trailer with Ghostface saying, you've never seen a Ghostface like this, it was really interesting because it started off with a an open an open scene like they always do in Scream, very, very well set up, girl, girl meeting a guy at the bar, gets called out into the alley to meet him because he's pretending he's lost and whatever, played by Samara Weaving, by the way, you know, random cameo by Samara Weaving is never going to hurt my feelings, um, gets called out into the uh, alley because she's a teacher, she's a film teacher, she teaches about horror movies, and, you know, The irony comes thick and fast when she herself gets, you know, lured out into a dark alley, killed by Ghostface. And immediately, Ghostface takes his mask off, and I'm like, okay that's new that's different you don't know who ghostface is until the end uh are we gonna go is this is the twist in this movie gonna be like we see this from ghostface's perspective uh is it gonna be a case of we see an equal perspective from him and from the good guys who knows he goes back to his i guess lair or or whatever you want to call it hideout apartment, uh, where you see he's got all kinds of uh, scream paraphernalia, or sorry, I should say stab paraphernalia, and he's waiting for a call from his partner. Uh, Ghostface calls pretending to be the partner. He thinks he's pranking him because of the voice and whatnot. Um, Eventually leads him, you know, plays hot and cold around the apartment until he finds his partner in the freezer, and then they get killed by another Ghostface. (laughs) So the guy that did the first killing of the Samara weaving in the first scene, I did say there was going to be a fake Ghostface or a fake out ghost face um, when I did the trailer reaction I, I was just wrong it wasn't it wasn't that scene in the in the uh, convenience store but the fact that these guys not only reveal themselves immediately as like ghost faced you know hangers on followers whatever but one we never meet we meet him when he's already in pieces in the freezer the other one gets killed by a ghost face and it's like I you know we have to we have to finish the movie we have to finish the movie and the ghost face that kills them really puts the movie on its head when it says fuck the movies. Fuck the movies in a whole series that's based on either being a movie, wanting to be a movie, wanting to improve the movies, or wanting to be the focus of a movie to have the killer, in tight air quotes, we'll get into that later, um, say fuck the movies right off the bat, says there's an entirely new motivation, which is awesome. So now you've got... All of our characters, you've got the the two Meeks kids and the two Carpenter kids that have all moved to New York. The rest of them are all in school. The the Sam Carpenter, Billy Loomis's daughter, character has just come there to just helicopter parent her, her sister from the last movie. She means well, but the little sister wants to get off on her own. Very, very basic sort of sibling stuff. They argue, they fight, whatever. Stuff starts popping off. She admits to her therapist that she liked killing in the last movie which is absolutely fantastic her therapist bites the dust but before then he has to tell her like you can't be admitting things like this or i have to call the cops Apparently, since the last movie, there is a big internet conspiracy out there that she actually committed all the murders of the last movie and pinned it on her boyfriend, who ended up being one of the killers. At the end of the movie, surprise, surprise, it is what it is. So everybody starts, everybody starts getting pegged off. The the uh, Jasmine Savoy Brown's character has a girlfriend. She eats it hard out of a window. Smokes, smokes her face off. A off a dumpster uh, after getting stabbed in the gut and trying to crawl across a ladder from one building to another. There's a lot of other really cool kills. The therapist gets stabbed through a window through the nose... Which is, which is which is not great. Um, the entire time, Sam is like, I don't want to connect with anybody. It's just us. It's just us. Meanwhile, she's got a secret fling going on with the guy across the window who would then later go on to offer them the ladder when they were all getting killed. There's a, a random other uh, roommate that apparently gets killed named Quinn. She gets gutted while they all sit in the other room thinking she's getting laid because she's the movie's official slut. She's even called so in the movie. Um, Another person in the group, I think his name was like Evett or Everett or whatever, he's labeled as the dork. Let's just keep those two in mind for later. Gail Weathers comes in. She's in... She's basically... It's it's implied that she lives in New York, so it's not like she came to town for this, but she comes and finds them when stuff starts popping off. And I do love... This is one thing I do love, because in any other movie, it would be really easy to say she was a really shitty person in the beginning, but but as they all became friends, they all became better people, etc. Sort of a... Tony Stark used to sell... Uh, used to sell arms and, and weapons of war and all that, and eventually went on to be a hero. No, they're all friends with Gale. They all... Sort of have this relationship with Gail, the f- former characters and the current characters, but Gail's still kind of a piece of shit because she's still been writing mo- books and fiction based on what's happened to all these people, and and I like that because that's more realistic. You don't like not everybody magically becomes a happy person at the end. Not everybody becomes a hero in the end. Not everybody has their magic epiphany moment. So I think that's that's kind of cool. They call back to the first movie where Sidney Prescott knocks her out after saying she'd give her a free copy of the book. Sam goes to give her a swing. Um, Gail ducks, but because it's a it's a sister team, when she ducks, the other sister gets her with a smoke, and I really thought that was cool. Nice, nice call back to the first movie without being entirely cheesy. She's there kind of admitting that she's still a shitty person, but still wanting to help them at the same time. She eventually eats it while they're trying to bait the ghost face character into a park. Meanwhile, they trace the call around to to Gail's apartment, which is on the other side of town. The cat and mouse through Gail's apartment is really, really well done, in my opinion. Shout out to Courtney Cox for that. But also... Uh, Kirby Reed, who was the deputy uh, at some point in in Woodsboro, has now become a part of the FBI. She's come into town. She wants to have joint jurisdiction with the local police so that she can help it out. She has, you know, deep knowledge of the ghost face killings, etc. And it's mentioned that she was a senior when Sam Carpenter was a freshman. So they sort of know each other. Random insertion is random. Kind of like in Scream 2 when uh, when Sidney Prescott went off to college and the killings started happening. And Dewey just kind of inserted himself. It's like, I'm a cop. I can be a cop anywhere. So she's stumbled upon this giant theater this giant theater that was in the name of the first two guys that were killed at the beginning of the movie. And this is the shrine. This is the thing that was uh, alluded to a lot in the credits. It's a reveal that was teased but never fully teased out. It's everything a Ghostface fan would want. I thought they were going to go, I will say, I thought they were going to go more into this. Um, when they start doing different. Uh, this movie's about this, this movie's about movies, this movie's about sequels, this movie's about trilogies, this movie's about whatever. I thought they were going to sort of sidetrack into like the current fad of like why do we watch so many serial killer documentaries. It didn't quite go that way. It wouldn't have hurt my feelings if it did, but they find this shrine, the, uh, the outfits and masks of all... Of all the nine killers, constantly beating us over the head with the fact that Scream, fo- uh, no Scream Three, was the only one, or was the only Scream movie that only had one killer. It was the only one that didn't have the dual killer, which immediately is sort of a story alert for like, okay, they're going to do something different again because they're pointing out the only other movie that was different. <coughs> what ends up happening is they start seeing a pattern of all the all the killings have a mask left behind at all the different uh, murder sites, and all of them have DNA from all the different previous killers, from uh, from Billy Loomis to Sydney's secret brother to the the boyfriend and the other chick from the last movie. Sorry, names are kind of escaping me right now because I'm kind of tired. Um, but they have the DNA from all of them, so they know it's literally their masks. Um... But it's this shrine, and it's all the knives from all the different things, and it's police sketches, and it's in amongst... It's really strange, and if it was real, it would be really strange, because it's all the paraphernalia and evidence from the real crimes, but then it's also interspersed with a bunch of stab like marketing and paraphernalia. So here's all the stuff from the murders, and then here's all the stuff from the movies about the murders, which is like... Okay, immediately that's a built in psychological thing. Are we dealing with somebody who doesn't know the difference between reality and fiction? Really, really cool. Uh, they eventually say, uh, decide that they're gonna use this as the, uh, as the kill box. Uh, it's a term that's been used in a couple of other movies. Basically, the spot where you, once you've got somebody inside, they've got nowhere to go and you can trap them and you can kill them. The, um,. The killing in the in the roommates apartment, uh, like I say, initially takes out Quinn. Um, the you know, I, like I say, I, I don't, I'm not going to say it too much, but like these the movie appointed uh, movie slut quote unquote right was killed earlier on in the movie. Um, but long story short, it ends up that the cop who they've been who's her dad who wants to get this guy, whether it's by legal means or not legal means, he's with them, he's gonna, like, the only way we can stop this guy is to kill him, let's work with the FBI, you know, um, Kirby Reed, who's come from the FBI, and we're gonna put this kill box plan together, but at the very last second, they say, don't trust Kirby, she's been discharged from the FBI like two months ago, she's really unstable, she's really affected by all the Woodsboro murders, she's probably the killer, and immediately she gets shot by him, because he's the actual killer, pull a mask off, and it's the Evan Everett, whatever, the, the guy that they had dubbed the nerdy guy, and the sister, who is Quinn, who they didn't know wasn't actually dead because the dad being a cop was able to swap out the bodies to cover off her being still alive. And now why, why is this entire family coming after after Sam and, and Tara and, and the, the Meeks siblings and all that? Well, it's because they lost their other brother, who was the boyfriend in the last movie. And the theater that they're all standing in is actually his theater because he liked Stab and he liked slasher movies and they wanted to kill her and everybody associated with her surrounded by things that he loved. And then there's a big, huge fight between all of them. And here's what I love as well. Going back to the Courtney Cox thing, for these people to be the heroes, for these people to be the good guys in the movie, they don't have to be good people because they keep going back to... Uh, Sam admitting at the beginning of the movie that she kind of liked stabbing the shit out of her boyfriend who tried to kill her, and that might be a problem. And we did the uh, the Billy Loomis sort of hallucinations, um, you know, words from beyond the grave from her dad, you know, urging on all of her worst impulses. And she goes fucking ham on this guy at the end, after they dispatch the other two in, in quite brutal fashion as well. And it's kind of like... She's enjoying it and knows she shouldn't be enjoying it. And the Tara character is on the other side of the spectrum who knows it's bad but also knows that it's like the only option they have. Very cool dichotomy between those as well. Uh, at the very last second, the Meeks uh, siblings rejoin them as well. Um, Chad looks like he's been stabbed in the theater. Uh, Mindy thinks she, uh, they think she's been stabbed way back at the subway. The subway thing is another thing I really gotta say was really cool. Obviously it was set during Halloween, everybody was masked and a lot of those masks were ghost phase masks. Uh, made for a really cool uh, visual sequence in the subway. Everything about this was awesome. I'm, I'm rambling through it and I'm really trying not to lose my voice so I'm gonna say as much as I can say now. Um, just awesome. Just absolutely awesome. Like I say, once again, for the first sort of big stepping out of this new generation of the cast, I have to say what I've already said a million times, but Jenny Ortega, Melissa Barrera, um, Mason Goulding, Gooding. don't know how to pronounce his name, I apologize, and Jasmine Savoy Brown, the core four of Scream, going forward, these guys can have another ten movies. I really don't care. This was a lot of fun. Everything was amped up. Everything was so ridiculously amped up. A lot of stabbing in the face. A lot of stabbing in the face. Um, One of the things, one of the sort of like corny symbolism things uh, between the sisters is I know you really want to protect me, but you got to let me go. She's holding her younger sister over a balcony where the guy, one of the sons, is underneath her trying to cut at her feet. And she says, You got to let me go, you got to let me go. Jumps down on the guy, stabs him through the mouth and just twists every every kill, every kill, every, every maiming, every torturing, every slashing that happens in this movie is lingered on for just that little extra second, has that little extra bit of gore, little extra bit of, you know, whatever the wet sounds that they used for, for scenes like that in movies, was a little bit louder, a little bit grosser, a little bit longer, a little bit more a little bit deeper a little bit closer a little bit darker everything in this not that scream are a particularly happy series of movies but there's some silly moments in them every now and then but everything was like the silly was turned down and the gore was turned way up, and the savagery was turned way up, and I thought that was really cool. Jasmine Savoy Brown provided pretty much all the comedy in this movie, being the new Randy character, and being the person that's supposed to know everything about movies, who's really, really pissed off at herself for not guessing who the killer was last time, to be with all her friends that are absolutely freaked out, and have her like in like, nerd brain mode, trying to play this like it was a game of Clue, like her life wasn't on the line, Provided the only real consistent comedy, but comedy from the perspective of what the, what the fuck is wrong with you? This isn't a video game type of uh, type of reaction in the entire movie. The rest of it was pretty damn serious. Um, the I will say the the killing the killings of the core group and the extensions of the core group were treated with a lot more reverence in this movie than they have in any other movie before. Like, sad moments were given... Like I said, the violence was given an extra moment to be violent, and the sadness right afterwards and the recovery afterwards was given that extra moment to be intense and sad and serious and whatever. So, everything up to 11, with with some of the silliness pulled back just a little bit, but not without giving it an entirely new... Uh, without giving it an entirely new feeling. It was still very much Scream, but with some of it just tilted and adjusted, and to say maybe this is what this new generation of these movies is going to be like. I don't really know what else to say. Fantastic. Um, like I say, the only things I really got wrong were the fact that the fake-out Scream wasn't the Scream in the... In the um, convenience store, and when they opened up the Shrine to Ghostface, it wasn't, (coughs) um, I'm sorry, it wasn't, uh, to lean into, hey, why do people pay so much attention to serial killer documentaries this time around? Again, I will say, I really think that was uh, an interesting thing they could have leaned on, even if it was a false lead, like, hey, do we think this is this? No, but it was a nice thing to acknowledge like the current times. every movie sort of acknowledges the current times we're in um, most recently the the last one talking about like you can't quite do a sequel, you can't quite do a reboot, so you get that's where you get requel from. That's a relatively recent thing. so to acknowledge that would have been cool. It's not any worse for it not being in there as it was just a a, a, a major guess on my part. Um, everything about this was good. If you like the Scream movies, you'll like this, and if you're listening to this at this point, even though you haven't seen the movie, I've given away most of the movie. What I will say, one last thing, the reveal, what did we focus on when we when we focused on all the previous killers? There was nine, not ten, because Scream 3 only had one killer. That's the one that was the odd one out. So what's how do we ratchet it up this time? Three killers. Three killers. It's the first time we've had three killers. And that, combined with the New York setting where pretty much anybody could have been the killer, was pretty fucking fantastic. I said in the preview, in the uh, trailer reaction, it would have been kind of neat if the subtext of the movie title had been Scream 6, Ghostface in the Big City. This was a pretty damn good Ghostface in the Big City. Anyways, I've been Spaz. This has been FlixFix. Subscribe up there, talk down there, start a conversation. Keep all these conversations going. Don't be a stranger. I'll talk to you every last one of, of you for right now. I am out I of here. Bye.